G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and welcome to another episode of the WP Elevation podcast. And that's right, on this episode we talk about pornography, putting condoms on bananas and what motivates human behaviour. Our guest this week is none other than Adam Ferrier, one of Australia's most successful and well-known advertisers. He's also a clinical psychologist. He's written a book called The Advertising Effect. He's a regular guest on TV shows here in Australia. And he's an all-round, very smart, very nice, very humble guy. And uh, it was an absolute pleasure to have him on the podcast. My wife actually had Adam on her podcast, and she was the one that introduced me to him. So it was a pleasure to close that loop and to unpack a little bit of Adam's brain about what it is that motivates human behavior and how you can uh, use those factors to change people's behavior and influence them. And we also talk about some of the challenges of starting a brand new agency from the ground up, which Adam and his business partners are doing right now. It's a great episode, stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. Hey Elevators, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation. I'm very pleased to have with me in the studio here, Adam Ferrier. Adam Ferrier, welcome to the show. Thanks, mate. Thanks for joining us. No problem. Now for those that don't know, and I'm assuming that because of most of our audience are based on the other side of the planet, they mm -hmm. may not know where you're from. So mm -hmm. what's your elevator pitch? Who, who are you and what are you doing? Um, my name's Adam Ferrier, from um, a founder of an agency called Thinkabell. Uh, my background is clinical psychologist who got into advertising, so both of those things about behaviour change. So psychologists kind of change people's behaviour one-on-one mm -hmm. or in groups. Advertising changes people's behaviour whether they want it changed or not en masse. <laughs> and I kind of put both of those things together and that's what I'm like. I'm a behaviour change kind of person who understands a bit of brand strategy and a bit about creativity. Awesome. Um, there's lots I want to unpack uh, in this conversation and I thank you very much for coming in. I know you've just launched the new agency Thinkabell which we'll talk about in a moment. You've also written a book called The Advertising Effect uh, you've been on multiple television shows here in Australia. Um, my wife is a total fangirl of yours, and she actually had you on her podcast. Yes, and yeah, I can see she, she was, was very nervous the night before she interviewed you. She was like, oh my God, I'm no. interviewing Adam tomorrow. Uh, and that's how I came to know you. Um, so talk to me first of all, before we uh, talk about Thinkabell, and before we talk about uh, change behaviour, uh, talk to me about writing the book and yep. the TV appearances. What came first? Um, I think what came before both of those is uh, narcissism and <laughs> and a degree and a desire to be out there right. and, and thinking myself worthy enough to put the, my content out there. Right. So I think that desire has always kind of been there. Um, and because this is actually what, the actual point that I wanted to talk about. Yeah. The book and the TV thing yeah. is a way of you putting yourself out there. Yeah. A lot of the people I know watching this and listening to this will have all sorts of enormous psychological barriers with doing that. Did you have to overcome any kind of self-doubt or imposter syndrome to write a book and put yourself on television? Um, I, I should say yes, <laughs> but, uh, but no, which is even more pathological, I think. Right. So I think, um, I mean, I learned years ago that being different was always often sometimes better than being right. And people just wanted to hear a fresh opinion or a different opinion. Mm. And then there's so much data and there's so many opinions, it's very hard to know what's the right thing to do. So if you're adding something new to the equation, then you're probably kind of, if you're semi-intelligent, adding something. Um, and so, um, I always, so I always kind of felt like I had a, an opinion and a voice. Um, when I studied psychology and advertising, it dawned on me 
10 years ago that both of those kind of things are in the business of behaviour change and that everyone's in the business of behaviour change. Mm. So no matter what you're trying to do, whether you're trying to get your kid to eat their vegetables, whether you're trying to start a new business, whether you're trying to get more clients, whether you're trying to get people to listen to your radio station or your podcast, whatever it is, mm. you're, you're trying to change people's behaviour. Mm. And not that many people have codified how to change behaviour. And mm. so that's kind of what I wanted. That's what I set out to do. The flip side of that is the more is I is I have a love hate relationship with consumerism. I kind of mm -hmm. I love it because it's good for the GDP, gets people to buy stuff, raises the kind of living standards, but it creates lots of anxiety, depression, mm. false promises, and all that kind of stuff. So the more I talk about it, the more I kind of feel like I'm also informing people on how marketing and advertising works and how people are trying to change your behaviour and then what you can do about it as well. Yeah. Um, so you wrote the book. I, I love Gruen, uh, mm -hmm. Gruen Transfer, Gruen Planet. Um, for those that don't know, Gruen is a series of shows here in Australia which kind of demystify advertising and kind of debunk all the myths around advertising and they dissect advertising campaigns and show you what works and what doesn't. It's a fantastic show. Uh, G-R-U-E-N. Check it out if you haven't seen it. Um, so did you, would your, did you write the book and then kind of get those TV appearances? Is that kind of the way it worked? Um, I wrote, I did my thesis in clinical psychology on identifying the underlying constructs of cool people. And when I wrote, <laughs> when I wrote my thesis, I wanted it to be commercialised right. and I wanted it to be publicised. And that went global. And right. so I, for, wow. and then for a, a short period of time, I was a cool hunter. Right. So, I kind of, yeah. so I kind of always, in the back of my head, kind of wanted to have a degree of influence. Um, then through doing that and, um, and so on, I got, they, I got, they asked me to join the Gruen team. Mm -hmm. And then during that time, I think I published the book while, I was, while I'm doing the Gruen stuff. Got it. Um, how traumatic was writing a book? Not traumatic at all. Really? It was very, very easy, just, just um, sprouted out. And I did have a co-author right. um, who helped also help me structure it and uh, tailor it a little bit as well, Jen right. Fleming. Did you write or did you dictate? Wrote. You I wrote. Wrote, wrote, wrote like the bejesus. Right. Um, gardening leave is a good time to, um, although not, most, lots of people here are not going to have time, but if you exit somewhere and go on gardening leave, that's gardening a good time leave. to it's write a book. Gardening leave. Mm. Fantastic. All right. Um, now, I, now, so you, you studied psychology before advertising? Uh, both of them. So I went to a tutor at school. Uh -huh. Um, to find out what I should be, he said, "Become." He said, I, "He said, what are your interests?" I said, uh, "Money and people," and um, and then he said, "I should become a consumer psychologist." Right. And so I studied. Wow. Yeah, I know, pretty crazy, huh? Wow. You actually got really good counselling. Exactly. Career I know. Who, and took it. Who gets that? No, no one. No one that I've ever met. No, exactly. It's amazing. Wow. As a seventeen-year-old. Wow. And um, so I studied psychology, studied commerce, knew that saw was what did I want to do. Combined those two things to my masters, as I said. Then got sidetracked into forensic psychology, went to the prison system for a while. Oh, that's right. Uh, and then did the cool hunting thing, market research, advertising. Right. How was the prison psychology work? Um, it's great, amazing. Like, uh, oh. when you deal with the extremes of humanity, it oh. makes everything much more clear. So, um, so, when it, so I've got lots and lots of obvious examples in my head mm. of how we do things and why we do things that I can then kind of draw upon to exemplify the, the concept I'm trying to make. Wow. Um, for those that aren't aware, you should check out, this is a shameless plug for my wife's podcast, oh. weallwearitdifferently.com. Go check out that episode where my wife interviews Adam because they go into more detail around that. So there you go, shameless plug there. Um, so I'm curious, influences, I'm, I, I, we were talking before off camera, I've read um, Influence by Robert Cialdini. I'm a big fan of Cialdini's work. I love influence and the ability to change people's 
change people's behaviour because shamelessly, uh, there's two there's two sides to this coin. One, I think it gives you power, but B, I actually think it gives you power to help people because mm. if you can't get their attention and you can't influence their behaviour, you can't help them. So, I've as a I consider myself a marketer and a communication strategist, and I've definitely noticed over the years that there are things you can do to influence people's behaviour. I wish that some of the things didn't work that do, like scarcity, uh, but they do. How, how does your approach differ to, say, what people might be familiar with reading something like Influence by Cialdini? Um, I don't think it necessarily does. So just on that, I think two things. Advertising is only evil and it advertises evil things. Yeah. Same kind of thing yeah. with influence. You, yeah. You're only being evil if you use the powers for evil. Yeah. In terms of um, Cialdini's stuff is absolutely fantastic and I agree with most of it and most of it seems to make uh, really good sense and is a very clear communicator. Yeah. And I don't think it matters what guru you listen to or, or whose theory you subscribe by, as long as you set yourself a foundation of how the world works and how humans work, mm -hmm. and that's pretty robust, and then you just build into that knowledge base all the time. Because mm -hmm. if you don't have a framework or a foundation, then you're kind of constantly getting little scatter bits of information here and there. Mm. And I think especially in the online space where everything gets so sucked up and all the kind of the biases get sucked up and you should do this, you should do that, so much little bits of information. If you don't understand a framework of decision making or of a human sitting there in front of, of a device, whatever it is that you're trying to do, then it's hard to know where to apply that. And then a lot of that knowledge doesn't stick. So if you read Cialdini's influence, and that, and you see a good enough framework for that mm. to build all of your knowledge from, then just mm. stick to that. That'll mm. do. Mm. And so, for the for the lay person, or you know, in the time that we have, if there were one or two things that someone could do to start to maybe uh, increase the impact they're having or influence people's behaviour in a greater way, what do you think in terms of? We're talking specifically here about in terms of communication or marketing or what they do on their website or what they mm. do at a keynote presentation or how they present themselves at a you know, networking breakfast. What are some of the, the low-hanging fruit that they can apply? I came across a model uh, many years ago called the MOA model, which is Motivation, Opportunity and Ability. Um, I also studied what big behaviour change theorists kind of accounted for, what they thought accounted for the most behaviour change in psychology, which was a few conferences in around 1996. Mm. And then I looked at behavioural economics. And mm -hmm. behavioural economics is kind of codifying a lot of this kind of stuff for psychologists, and psychologists should have been doing this stuff originally. Long story short, boils down to kind of two key factors for me, which is kind of motivation and ease. So how motivated somebody is to do something, how easy it is for them to do something. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's a guy called BJ Fogg who talks about motivation and ability. For all intents and purposes, same thing. He put them on an XY axis, I've put them on an XY axis. Higher the motivation, higher the ease the more likelihood that people do what you want them to do. Most people think, they think they're in the game of increasing people's motivation to do stuff. That's really, really hard to do. Mm. And, uh, and it, it's, um, the only way you can do that is by creating a completely new category or yeah. a completely new thing. What you're normally trying to do is increase people's ease to go towards you rather than a competitor. Mm. Um, and so that's, that's the framework that I use, motivation and ease. Um, and I'm normally thinking most problems or most behaviour change problems are ease-based things. As a really quick side, uh, there's a, a mate of mine who used to work for me who's now gone off to be a, a Silicon Valley squillionaire uh, called Rob Perkins, created a website called OMG Yes, mm. 
Now, OMG Yes is a really interesting website because before OMG Yes, there was pornography, mm -hmm. which is now teaching people how to have really bad um, sex, mm -hmm. and there was sexual education, which was just weird. <laughs> and so he's put those two putting things... Putting condoms on bananas. That's right, <laughs> putting condoms on bananas. <laughs> yeah. He's put those things, two things together to create kind of this kind of edge-upon kind of category. Oh, wow. And it teaches men and women how to help women have more pleasurable sex, oh, wow. which is missing from there, right? Yeah. The only reason I tell all of this is the, the, the exception to ease is when you create something new or you create something desire, desirable enough mm -hmm. that it doesn't have competitors and then your job is really about increase, about mo you're solving a motivation issue there. Mm. Uh, wow, there is lots to unpack there. <laughs> um, if only we had another hour. <laughs> OMG Yes is yeah, the have website a look. there. Uh, w watch this first, then go check out OMGS. Close that browser tab, come back here. Um, you were involved, you've been involved in a couple of campaigns that people here in Australia will definitely be familiar with. When you are at Cummins & Partners, you were involved in the I Bought a Jeep yep, campaign. Yeah, that's right. Why that, and, and funny because we were talking about this off camera before, and when you Google the I Bought a Jeep campaign, what actually ranks is a lot of parodies around yeah. the I Bought a Jeep campaign. Mm. Why do you, and if you haven't seen it, go Google I Bought a Jeep and have a look at some of the ads. Why do you think the I Bought a Jeep campaign was so successful? Um, I'm going to do something really bad and not answer your question at all. I'm going to answer an another question and I'm going to come back to it. Okay. Another campaign that is, which has been global, which is, uh, is uh, called Share a Coke, which is something I was involved in at a previous agency, mm -hmm. where people will put their names on a can of, can of Coke. Yes. And that's been probably globally the most uh, successful campaign Coke's ever done wow. in, its, uh, yeah, in its life. And it's been replicated all around the world. And, and so on. So it's been really successful. And the reason why I think that was successful was because it was called Share a Coke. And we were asking, Coke was asking other people to buy them a Coke. We were asking you to buy a Coke for your mates. Gotcha. And so find a person with their name on it and uh -huh. give them a Coke. Yeah. First time ever that Coke's ever asked anybody uh, to do them a favour rather than just talking at you, mm. trying to get you to buy Coke. Mm. The reason why that's successful we think is a couple of things. It gives people a sense of ownership of the brand. I see names, I don't see my name, friends' names on the can of Coke, which is kind of, that lets me into the brand, got a sense of ownership. The other thing is Coke's asking you to do them a favour, and that's something which is a little bit different coming back to your Cialdini's thing. Cialdini talks about reciprocity, and, um, which is about if you do something for me, I'll do something back for you. The corollary of that is you do something for me, then you're much more likely to keep on doing things for me. Yep. And so if you get somebody to do you a favour, they'll like you more for having done that favour for you because they'll kind of post-rationalise it, uh, post-rationalise me as having been worthy of doing a favour for. Yeah. So I think what the Share a Coke campaign did or does is every time you buy Coke and share a Coke with somebody, mm. you're rationalising Coke as being worthy of sharing and so it kind of increases your likability towards it. Mm. So I really like that campaign, I really like being involved in it, mm -hmm. and, there's, um, and then on the Jeep stuff, Jeep is really kind of about social norming, so before um, uh, we came along, Jeep was a kind of a pretty extraordinary purchase, had a very small market share in Australia, mm -hmm. uh, at Cummins and Partners we kind of acknowledged that, and then we developed a campaign that kind of fed that straight back to the viewer and made it seem like an extraordinary purchase seemed ordinary by getting lots and lots of different people to kind of acknowledge they bought a Jeep, and we started this vernacular saying, I bought a Jeep, yes, you bought a Jeep, I bought a Jeep, you bought a Jeep, you bought a Jeep, you bought a Jeep, and it kind of, and so it goes. And, and so it normalised buying a Jeep? It normalised buying a Jeep uh, massively. <clears throat> and it was a very successful campaign, and it was very annoying in the end, <laughs> and it, because it penetrated, 
your psyche and it kind of made you feel like you weren't normal if you didn't buy a Jeep. In yeah. fact, I test, when I bought my Mazda, I test drove a Jeep because of that campaign. Yeah, and the really interesting thing about that campaign is as soon as you buy a new car, it gave you an excuse online to go, I bought a Jeep, yeah. and then everyone goes, oh, you bought a Jeep, I bought a Jeep, I bought a Jeep. Yeah, yeah. And the whole campaign just kind of blew up. It would be the most successful social campaign yeah. ever in Australia, but there wasn't a single cent spent in social media on the campaign. Wow. So if I'm... Um, uh, if I'm, I want to talk about Thinkabell in a moment, this is the new agency that you've launched mm -hmm. and some of the challenges around that, but if I am a branding freelancer or a, an online digital marketer and I've got this new client that comes in and they're launching a new brand and they tell me a little bit about what it is they're trying to achieve, how can I start to think about, you know, a brand is, we know that a brand is more than a logo and a colour palette and a font set, how do I start to think about how this brand is going to influence consumers' behaviour right from the, like, what's your process to, to sort Great. of start that it's thinking? it's a really interesting question. I, at first I'd ignore the consumer um, and I wouldn't really worry about them. I'd just kind of work out what you want to stand for, what you think your place in the world is and build assets that communicate whatever the hell it is that you want to communicate mm. and be really, really clear on that and be really true to your own vision and be confident with that and just be really clear about what you stand for and assume that they'll come. Mm. Once you have that in place and once you really understand all the assets of what your, what your brand's about, what you're trying to put out to the world, your look and feel, your, your, being incredibly consistent, build some distinctive assets that you use over and over and over again and be absolutely consistent with, put them everywhere, you know, the kind of Coke model of the red, the ribbon, mm -hmm. the cursive font, all of that kind of stuff, contour bottle. Once you've got all of that and that suite of assets, only then start to think about how am I going to use those now to change somebody's behaviour. Mm. So, so separate the building of the brand, which is your vision, mm -hmm. uh, what you stand for, or and then and then that's it. And then I'd work out how to change behaviour. And, and then to change behaviour, I'd work out what's my business goal, whose behaviour do I need to change to reach that goal, who's going to account for the most variance of me reaching the goal. Mm -hmm. um, what are the triggers and barriers against motivation and ease mm -hmm. to, to reach that goal? And then start to break it down from there and then start to put in strategies or action plans against those. Wow, fascinating. I, I, could, I could unpack this and talk about that for a whole week, uh, but we haven't got time, unfortunately. Um, now, Thinkabell is, you've launched this new agency, Thinkabell, mm -hmm. um, and you were uh, previously at Cummins and Partners. Mm -hmm. Uh, so you had some gardening leave. You're back with Thinkabell. Talk to me about why why another agency? Why are you still in this space? Why are you not off doing running group therapy sessions oh, and helping people solve their problems? No, that's, that's, <laughs> I could talk about that for a week. Um, I'd love to be doing that. Um, when I, was at, I used to work at Saatchi and Saatchi. I used to work there during the day and then used to run men's groups in the evening. And, oh, wow. and, um, and that was really kind of nice, just trying to balance the two. So I'd love to do that. And part of doing the book, is also just trying to balance out the psychology with the uh, advertising. Mm. Um, I love ideas, I love creativity. I think at the end of the day, I just happen to have gotten to the marketing science behaviour changing space. Mm. I really love creativity and I really love kind of influence and I guess power as well. Mm. Um, and I find the whole advertising world um, fascinating because yeah. it's creativity. Yeah, yeah. So that's kind of the main, so I want to stay, I like this space, I want to stay in it, I want to do a whole lot of, I want to be an architect, I want to be a psychologist, I want to do lots and lots and lots of other things as well. Yeah. But this is where I am. Yeah. Um, the agency, I've ha started an, an agency in Australia called Naked, which was part of a global chain many years ago. Mm -hmm. And I loved building an agency from the ground up, mm -hmm. loved that experience. And I found fantastic partners uh, and 
doing the same thing. So that's enjoying building agency from the ground up. So developing the logo, developing the name, developing the proposition. I just love all of that stuff. I love doing it for clients and I love doing it for, my, for myself. Do, do, does it, um, the energy in starting something, do you, do you, th do you kind of have to have that conversation with yourself to say, okay, Adam, are we ready to put, because it's, it's exhausting, isn't it? Um, yes, it is exhausting, like you put in lots of hours, yeah. um, but it kind of, it feels like, um, to me, um, time is like a, well, you know one of those piano accordions, uh -huh. it's kind of infinitely expandable, you can do as much as you want or as little as you want, and kind of like the more you do, the more you do, it just kind of doesn't, mm. so it kind of feels like there's always time to do more if, you, if, if you're into it. Mm. Um, so I find it creates, so as well as being tiring, it creates its own energy as well, I guess. Mm. Um, I have no idea where I'm going with that. No, that's okay. Uh, the, just the whole concept of starting something from scratch, yeah. finding a suite of clients, you know, getting the, the, getting the clients signed up, you know, hiring staff, does that, I mean, does, the, does that, did, it, did at any point, were you overwhelmed by the sheer amount of work in front of you? No. Excellent. And um and a and not a good podcast, right? Or, <laughs> Correct. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but um I'm not overwhelmed by it. I kind of enjoy it. I and I I, I thrive in mess and I thrive in chaos and I right. thrive in um being unstructured. But I think what we're just coming back to that advice before about be clear about what you stand for. Mm. If you're really, really clear about that, mm. so much of your decision making is taken care of. Like mm. for us, our proposition is around measured magic, which yes. is about scientific inquiry meets hardcore creativity. That's what we do. So the office design, the logo, the business cards, everything. We've just got a really, really, really clear kind of point. Mm. And so that makes lots of maybe tiring or exhausting decisions, not tiring, exhausting, because they become quite simple, mm. if you know what I mean. Yeah, and yeah. so the tighter you can get that little thing, then the more easier the rest of it comes. And, and you know, the business isn't, we're not booming, like the business isn't fantastic. It's not like we're not yelling at each other and having fighting matches sometimes or mm. doing shit that's boring or horrible. I'm not trying to paint a really glossy picture. Mm. There's loads and loads of things we're doing wrong, mm. hundreds. Mm. But I, I kind of enjoy uh, the mess as well. The process of working yeah. that all out. And the, yeah. if your why is really clear, not to simplify too much, but if your why is really clear, then the what and the how kind of just find themselves and you work them out, right? Because you're staying true to your, your path. Yeah. Although I'm not going to credit Simon Sinek for my... Are you a fan of Simon Sinek? Uh, uh, yeah. I actually, I, I'm a fan of anybody who can simplify something complicated mm. and communicate it, and, and he's and, done that wonderfully. And maybe add a different slant. I'm a fan of Dan Sullivan, who's written this book called, uh, he's got a fantastic podcast called Exponential Wisdom um, with um, Peter Diamandis, um, and he wrote a great book called Unique Process Advisors, where he took 10 financial advisors who were kind of, you know, maxed out working on commissions and retainers, and they basically 10x their business, they all 10x their business by taking what they knew and repackaging it into a unique process. They mm. basically made up a framework and yeah. went, this is now our process. Do you I think there's some I, merit yes. in, oh, I love it's it. kind of I, like creating the category or creating a whole I wanna, new I want to read that. That sounds, that sounds really interesting. And that's, I'm 
big into that. And the more you can replicate, the more you can have a process, mm. then the less you need to rely again on mm. thinking about how you're going to solve something. You can put it into the process and that will do the job for you a little bit. Yeah. Like you look at the management consultancies, they can, uh, uh, for example, they can replicate how to solve big kind of business, complex business problems because they have their processes and their systems so well in place. Yeah. Yeah, big fan of that. Doesn't come naturally, but I, but I, um, I like that. And also, advertising agencies uh, historically have been terrible at branding themselves. So they're all kind of much and much, and so they all have a kind of a, um, a similar way of operating. They, very few of them have uh, ownable IP mm. or replicable processes. Mm. It all revolves around just buying in really good talent. Mm. So we're kind of proud of ourselves for creating what we think is quite a nice distinctive brand within an agency, within a category that doesn't brand itself particularly mm. well. Um, check out Dan Sullivan, uh, Unique Process Advisors is the book that we just mentioned there. I used to wear a t-shirt that said, I make stuff up, mm -hmm. uh, because it's true, I'm, I do make stuff up, and I learned over the years that that's what most people do. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's okay, isn't it, to make stuff up? I think so. I think as long as, yeah, I think it is. I think it's great. As long as it's unique and as long as it's adding value and as long as you're finding a new and a different way to communicate something and yeah. as long as it's based on why it is you're doing what you're doing and you're staying true to your vision. I think that's that sounds fine. I think I'd, I think I'd like a person more if I just said, had a t-shirt saying I make stuff rather than I make stuff up. Right. Like, you know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah, I, yeah, like yeah, I think yeah. that'd be, and I think I thought there might be a double play on, on make stuff because I think just make, I think, you know, yeah. making stuff, creating stuff, not you're just making sure it's, it's interesting like this is partly a motivational kind of conversation isn't mm, it mm. and i think just putting shit out there or giving stuff a go is mm. is incredibly mm. um, important and somebody once said to me and i do like this piece of advice they said if you don't have a goal then just make one up and yeah, and just totally. you just 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 create it and yeah. and do that and then along that journey, something else will come up. That's right. Yeah, so you don't even have to, it doesn't have to be real. You just have to have something. And yeah, then, because it gets you moving. Yeah. And, then, yeah. and you're right. And then while you're moving, you find other things and you might end up being over here. I remember being at university, getting in university and being halfway through my first year of a Bachelor of Educational Theatre and thinking, oh my God, I do not want to be a drama teacher. Yeah. And I had this crisis because I thought, you make well, a good drama teacher. Yeah, well, thanks, but, uh, you know. Um, there's many reasons why I don't want to be a drama teacher. We can explore that later. But I, I kind of had that moment where I'm like, this is everything I've wanted, and now I don't want it anymore. Yeah, yeah. But if I didn't go yeah, after yeah. something I wanted in the first place, then I wouldn't have learned that about myself, and I wouldn't have discovered that. Um, do you think having the book and being a television personality helps your profile oh, in mate. terms of attracting... If you want to have credibility, <clears throat> yes, get on TV. Yeah, as yeah. soon as you're on TV, everyone thinks you know what you're talking about. It's amazing. It has an amazing effect. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> I'm trying to get on TV. Can you introduce me? <laughs> sure. Um, but it you know, and then it because it just builds social yeah. norms, builds confidence. Yeah. It, it, you know, it's, it's kind of like a stamp of credibility. Yeah. Um, but I think the other. So I once gave a talk. And somebody sent me an email after this talk, and I've still got the email, and they said, oh, hi, Adam, you're obviously a really awkward guy, but somehow you've managed to turn awkward into awesome. Um, can you, you know, how do you, how, what have you done, or how do you do that? And I do like the idea of just, as well, just using what you've got yeah, and yeah. amplifying it. And if you are a bit um, fat, then don't try to hide it yeah. by wearing baggy... Sure, sorry, whatever, whatever your weakness is, just, like, just own yeah, it and yeah. embrace it. 
And that's probably what your defining character is anyway. And it's probably how people recognize you anyway. So you don't have any choice in it. So, and again, mm. the same goes for brands as well. We're trying to constantly try to make them all glossy and shiny and smooth. Mm. A little bit of shit, you know, people kind of get attracted <coughs> to that. So mm. don't try too hard to get it all, get it all perfect. Yeah. And again, coming back to the agency and why I'm probably enjoying that process is I don't, we're not hard on ourselves, you know, like we try to do the best we can yeah. and keep on moving forward. Yeah. At the risk of using a buzzword, it's just being authentic, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think, think so. Especially uh, in, with the online explosion over the last 10 years or so, that authenticity is something that, that people are craving because they're so used to seeing the best version of everyone's life on Instagram or Snapchat or Facebook. Yeah. If you're just authentic, it really cuts through and resonates with people. Yeah, and, it's, and it goes against, especially when you're marketing or branding, for some reason we feel like we have to present a glossy veneer of that. Yeah. Whereas many other industries, like the entertainment industry, uh, politics, whatever, they know that you have to have a double-sided coin. Yeah. Um, what's the one thing that's keeping you awake at night right now about starting Thinkerbell? Keeping up. Um, so Keeping up with the work or keeping up with trends or keeping up? Keeping up with the work. Mm. Um, so th th that's, you know, just, just trying to button things down and, you know, we, um, we want to say, you want to say yes when you're in business, you want to say yes and saying yes is the easy part. It's then making sure I'm following through mm. and doing a good job. That's, that's the hard bit. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for coming in and joining us on the show. It's been an absolute pleasure. I could cool. do this for hours, but yeah. I, we're out of time. So, Adam Ferry, thank you very much. It's very nice energy. Good. Thanks. Well, I hope you enjoyed getting to know Adam Ferrier as much as I did. I seriously could have spent hours unpacking his brain, and uh, hopefully at some point in the future, I'll have the good fortune of having him back on the show. Everything you need to know about this episode and the show notes and all the links we talk about, including OMG Yes, that fantastic edu porn site. Uh, all the links and all the show notes will be at wpelevation.com slash adamferrier. That's all one word, all lowercase, of course. Uh, and please subscribe to the podcast at iTunes uh, because it really does help us come up in the search results and get our podcast in front of more WordPress consultants just like you so that we can help more people and impact more lives around the world. Give us a five-star rating and leave us an honest review and tell us what you think of the show. And leave us a comment under this episode uh, at wpelevation.com slash adamferrier. Hey, this is the final episode of the WP Elevation podcast for this season. We're going to take a few weeks off, but we will be back with another season uh, in a few weeks. So I hope you can join us then. Until then, I'm Troy Dean, go Elevate.